that he understands, he knows that there are forces of darkness, there are spirits of darkness that try to clothe people with such a, an attitude within their heart that they want to quit, they want to give up, they faint. <laughs> the Lord is saying, Here, here's what I want to do in your valley. I, I want you to know the oil of gladness instead of mourning. I want you to know a mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. There is more, more to knowing Jesus, more to being a believer than just learning how to act right or stay out of trouble with God. The greatest adventure of my life has been following the real Jesus, seeing Him move in power and might far beyond the walls of church on Sunday morning, alive and at work in the hearts of real people in real situations. Join me, Pastor David Walker, from our home base of Alamo City Church in San Antonio, Texas, as we discover a life of radical joy, power, and freedom in following the real Jesus. He has more for you than you could ever imagine. Isn't it a truth that we seem to have more valley days than we have mountaintop days? Is that just me talking, or is that us, I think? So, so what, what is the Lord doing when He allows the valley times to come? I want you to find in your copy of the Scripture, please, um, Psalm number 34. Psalm number 34. The truth is that Probably the majority of psalms are written from a valley, written from some kind of a valley in the author's life. This is one of them. This is David. Now, he's, he's not the king yet. He's been anointed the king. It's God's plan for him to be the king of Israel, but Saul is still on the throne. And Saul has become just a maniac, scared of his shadow, scared of every threat. He's doing everything he can at this season in David's life to kill David, not just to have him exiled, but, but to have him dead. So here's this anointed next king of Israel, the, the one who took out Goliath, the one who is the man after God's own heart. And yet he's walking through, and for many days in his life, he lived in a big-time valley where happiness was fleeting, where a sense of peace was hard to find, where the circumstances of his life were so difficult that um, only the Lord was able to see him through. We, we find times like that in our lives, and some, maybe a good many of us that I'm talking to this morning, that's where we are. There is a valley. You're walking through a valley. Psalm 34, first verse. David, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. 
My soul shall make its boast in the Lord, and the humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Well, where are you, David? Well, basically, I don't have anything in my refrigerator. I don't don't have Thomas J. Henry defending me in the trial that I'm going through. I'm in a mess, and a powerful head of state is trying to kill me, but here's what is coming out of me. I will bless the Lord at all times. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. I, I, I looked for the Lord, and the Lord answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were, and, and were radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, are you at the king's banquet table? Where are you? Where are you, David? What's this banquet table look like? Well, it, it not, it's not much physical food. I, I picked a few onions here, and I grabbed a couple of figs over there, and I, I shot at a jackrabbit and missed him. But I'm just telling you, the Lord is here, and when you taste of him, you're going to find a banquet for your soul. You're going to find nourishment that you can't get from the world. Let me, let's get back to the text here a minute. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. To need a refuge means you've got to hide from something. To need a refuge means that you need to be rescued from an enemy. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, when is he blessed? Is he blessed after the threat has been satisfied, after the enemy has been removed? (laughs) How blessed is the man who, while he needs to be taking refuge because of what's going around on him, he finds the blessing of the Lord in the place where he needs refuge, in the valley, in the valley. In the valley, in the valley. The valley speaks of depression. The valley would speak of hopelessness. The valley would speak of abandonment. All of those things. But let me just encourage you with one more passage. And this is Isaiah chapter 61. Where Jesus, this prophecy of Jesus in Isaiah 61, which Jesus read and said, this is fulfilled now in your hearing, as he, as he read it in the synagogue in, in Nazareth. He, he's talking about meeting people in their valley. It, it, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, Isaiah 61. Because the Lord has anointed me, empowered me, endued me with strength to bring good news to the afflicted, 
to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives. Doesn't that sound like a valley, an emotional, even physical valley? I have been sent to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God against sin, against darkness, against evil, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, mourning ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Jesus referenced in this Isaiah 61 passage is saying that he has been anointed to give a mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, meaning that he understands, he knows that there are forces of darkness, there are spirits of darkness that try to clothe people with such a, an attitude within their heart that they want to quit, they want to give up, they faint. <laughs> the Lord is saying, Here, here's what I want to do in your valley. I, I want you to know the oil of gladness instead of mourning. I want you to know a mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. I believe today, and go back to that Psalm 34 one more time, I, I believe what needs to be done today is, is just an aggressive frontal assault on the spirit of fainting, on, on anything that would try to work against a child of God. You've received Jesus as your Savior and Lord. You know you're going to heaven when you die. Your name's in the Lamb's book of life. You've got a place at the Father's table, but for right now, in this season of your life, discouragement and a spirit of heaviness can mark your days because of the valley that you're walking through. What we need to get from this passage is that a spirit of heaviness is the opposite of what the Lord bequeaths, what the Lord bestows upon those He loves. When He moves into your valley, and he lets you know, I'm not on the far side of Jupiter. I'm right here, right in the middle, right where you are. And I can cause you to know by the strength of my power, a removal of a spirit of heaviness that makes you want to quit and cause there to be a spirit of praise, a mantle of praise, a mantle of joy. Lord, I ask you, wherever this needs to go today, wherever this needs to go. One's in this room, one's a part of our streaming family. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come against the spirit of fainting. We come against the spirit of heaviness. You have all authority and everything has been put underneath your feet, and we exalt the Lord Jesus Christ, and we receive the Lord Jesus by your Spirit into our hearts today to set us free from a spirit of heaviness from a spirit of depression, from a spirit that would cause us to want to quit. Go, go back to Psalm 34. 
You skip over to verse 19. David says, many, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him or her out of just some of them. Huh? Are you reading along with Correct the preacher. Correct the preacher. He's missing if it's not according to the word. The Lord delivers him out of them all. Okay, so there are at least three kinds of valleys. One of them is a valley that you brought on yourself. The way of the transgressor is hard. The wages of sin is death. Stuff dies when we choose our way instead of the Lord's way. In that context, Paul would say, God is never going to be mocked. And he puts it in this context, whatever a person sows, that's what that person is going to reap. You're not going to sow one kind of seed and get another kind of plant. What you reap, you sow. So, one type of valley is the valley where we have made a mess out of our lives because of the choices that we've made. We did it to ourselves. David could testify to that kind of valley or that kind of affliction. Man after God's own heart, writer of Psalms, songs, but there was a midnight of his soul where he chose another man's wife, and in order to cover his tracks, had that man murdered, killed in battle. He, he confessed. He, he, when he was confronted by Nathan the prophet, he didn't deny it. He confessed it. He admitted it. And the prophet said back to him, your sin has been forgiven, but because you have caused the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the sword will never depart from your house. You've been forgiven. You stay on the throne. But there is a harvest that will come in. Absalom, the, the, this, this handsome, striking leader, son of David, ended up stirring up revolt against him to try to have his father removed, and he would take the throne. Absalom ended up being killed. But it was, it was, it was the harvest coming in. But what does David say about that kind of harvest? It's still included in that Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. David wasn't in right standing with God when he committed that sin, but his heart turned to the Lord. He repented of that sin. He came back to the Lord, and his testimony, even including that particular season, that valley in his life, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Even someone wondered, but here's what he says, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. I'm here to say to you, if, if you're walking through a valley today that is of your own making, it's because you made some dumb choice, wrong choice, it was wrong in the sight of God, 
You can't undo it, and the harvest has come in. Even in that place where your heart turns back to the Lord and you don't blame it on anybody, you're not, you're not trying to make excuses, you confess it for what God calls it. Adultery, murder, those were David's too. Lying, all, all of the, what have, I've done what is evil in your sight, God, created me a clean heart, oh God. You do that, and there is mercy. And the consequences that can come even from that type of a valley, David says, and the Lord delivers him out of them all. There needs to just be a shout of hallelujah on that one from all of us, Lord, thank you that in the places where I have done things and chosen to do things and, and spoken to people and hurt people, done the things that, that, that grieve you. I, and, and this has come back on me. I confess it. It's wrong. Forgive me, Lord. And I'm, I'm, I'm just stretching out on this verse that you will deliver me. You'll deliver me even from that valley of affliction. There's another kind of valley, and it's, it's, it's when somebody else has done something, and the result of what they've done affects you. You're in a valley because of what somebody else has done, and it's affected the circumstances of your life. That's the whole story of the children of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy, the ones Moses is speaking to in the entire book of Deuteronomy. None of, none of those that he's talking to there were a part of the sin of not following the Lord to go on into the land of Canaan and and possess their inheritance. When they sent the spies in, you remember this story, we're very familiar with it. Ten came back saying we can't do it, two came back saying we can, we're supposed to, let's go ahead. The ten, the the majority was wrong, wrong, dead wrong in that sense. And it cost them the lives of all of those who were part of that decision. Forty years, forty years, forty years, walking in circles in a desert being miraculously fed, miraculously watered, protected, sheltered by the hand of the Lord upon their lives. They were in a valley for 40 years because of what their parents had done. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, (laughs) but the Lord delivers him, her, out of them all. All of those 20 years of age and younger of the sons and daughters of the children of Israel, all the ones who were born in the wilderness, that was the group to which Moses was going to say under Joshua's leadership, you go in and you possess your inheritance. You take what God hundreds of years before had spoken. Your parents missed it. Your parents blew it. But your children of destiny, you're a generation of a future and a hope, you go in. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the valleys of ones trying to do what's right in God's eyes. But the Lord delivers them out of them all. There's a third kind of valley, and and that can be the valley when circumstance is not not attributable to any particular person. Something hits you. It's a sickness. 
It's, it's something circumstantially that, that you and others had nothing to do with, but it has just come upon you, and it has caused you to be in a valley that has affected your movement, has affected your outlook, has affected your freedom. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them him out of them all. So what, what is he doing with the valley? What's he doing with the valley? Your valley, from whatever direction it came, but you're in it. And it's a place, if, 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 you, look, if you look at the material circumstances, the natural circumstances, it looks bleak, it looks oppressive, it looks endless, it looks hopeless. And, and, and for some reason, the Lord who has all power and He loves you infinitely could deliver you out of that immediately, right now, today, change it. Why does He not? May I suggest this to us? The valley will show you, will show us where our true strength lies. Now, that's important. That's important for a number of reasons, but we won't go into that, those things exactly right now, but just this, just this statement. He will show you where your true, true strength is. Your valley will show you who and what you can count on. Your valley will show you whether or not that was just flapping jaws and big old lips saying, I'm there, I'm with you all that you can count on me. I'm right. Can't find them with a metal detector when the trouble hits. So if our strength is positioned in people, something about these valleys that the Lord allows can be tailor-fitted to address that one place of where our strength has been and where that strength isn't strong enough, reliable enough anymore. It, it, the valley will do this too. The valley along that line will, will show you what you don't have to have. I couldn't make it. I couldn't make it without this, you know. You're making it, <laughs> not necessarily because you love it that way, but you're realizing what I thought I had to have or I'd just die. It's amazing how I don't need that nearly as bad as what I thought. There's something about a valley that, that in ways that can be uncomfortable for us simplifies our lives. And the Lord allows it to get us focused on the things that are true strength and true life. It shows you where your true strength is. Would you find uh, way over in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament that he authored in a human sense from a valley, from some kind of a valley. He was either in prison 
or he is being hunted and chased down. He, 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 was, he was continually in a place of turmoil, but he also lived in amazing power and confidence and peace. Here we have him, he's describing the valley of his thorn in the flesh, the valley of some sort of a physical infirmity. Anybody have one of those? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8. Concerning this, and they, this, this thorn in the flesh, which some would say it was his eyesight that was, that was failing him. He couldn't see well enough to write clearly, and he had to have help writing. Some would say it was a gastrointestinal something that he caught in Asia Minor, and he had to be tended to by those that he had just led to faith in Christ. Whatever it was, a thorn in the flesh, he calls it a messenger of Satan to buffet me to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated, I begged the Lord. Now, that's, that is a strong word. And, and it's not one that I had, had a little talk with Jesus. You know, I just had a little talk with Jesus. No, he, I, he's, God, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to get this off of me because it's keeping me from doing what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And that's probably not, you know, last Friday night, and then again Monday night, and then again. The, 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 these, these periods of time more than likely were extended periods of time with physical weakness, some sort of physical pain, discomfort, disability. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me, and verse 9, and He has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My ability to enable you, Paul, my ability to mercy you, my ability to strengthen you, my ability to impart to you what you don't have without my grace, it's going to be sufficient for you. Then he says, for power is perfected in weakness. Some translations will put the personal pronoun representing the Lord, for my power is perfected, completed, brought to fulfillment, shown fully in weakness. Is that not the craziest thing you ever heard? God is saying, you want to see my power? You watch it work in something or some person who is the exact opposite of my power, it's in their weakness. It's in their weakness. It's in your weakness, Paul that I'm going to show my power. Most gladly, Paul says, therefore I will, I'll rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. You see the word dwell? That means I want the power of Christ living in me. I don't want it just to come and visit me once in a while. <laughs> I want the power of the exalted Jesus Christ to live, to dwell, to make its home, to make its habitation in me. He sums up on the three and again in Philippians 3.10, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. Something that was so strong in Paul's heart that he couldn't quit talking about it. I'm going to, instead of bragging on how strong I am, how able I am, how capable and competent I am, I'm going to just tell you about how little I can do of anything. 
And when something is said to me, something is perpetrated against me that causes me to be further convinced of how weak I am, I'm going I'm to boast about that. Why? So that the power of the Lord Jesus Christ by His Spirit in me would never fade, would never leave, would never diminish. Something about a valley that will show you where your true strength is. And if we spend the days of our lives trying to find strength within ourselves, we read a, an instruction from Scripture. We, 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 we know there's something we ought to do, and we look within. We keep looking within to find the resources to fulfill the requirement or the desire, and we live, we live with a sense of failure. That's why some believers, Lord, help us, full of the Word, God promises, you poke them in the back and John 3, 16 is going to come out the front. You know what I mean? I mean we, we're full of the Word, but victimized by a spirit of heaviness. And that can so often be because we're taking, we're trying to take the Word with the assumption that I can live the Word if I just know what the Word is. Wrong! In fact, some of the most frustrated people on the earth can be the ones so filled with what I ought to do, but smitten by the reality that I have no power to do it. It's where we come looping back into where Jesus would say, apart from me, you can do nothing. But Paul would say, I can do nothing all things, period. I can do all things. I'm saved. I'm born again, going to heaven. I've got the Bible. I'm writing the Bible. He's actually writing it. No. No. Folks, if this drops 18 inches, it'll set you free from self-condemnation, and it will walk you through the door of power to be the person you want to be, but not ever in your own strength. I can do all things through the one who is giving me the strength. You can know every verse of Scripture on self-control, every verse of Scripture on, on how to forgive, and every verse of Scripture on all of these other things, and never be able to live up to them. Knowing is not enough. Empowering is the key. And I'm saying, I'm saying that, and I'm hollering that, and I'm spitting to about the sixth row on that because I'm just, I get so sad for folks that come in just all beaten down. Here it is what they got. They got the Bible on the head. They got Bible all over everywhere, but no power. The Apostle Paul said the kingdom of God is not words, but it's power. The Word, yes, we cherish the Word, we want to honor the Word, we want to be taught by the Word, but we got to have a teacher, and that is the Holy Spirit, the invisible presence of the exalted Lord Jesus Christ, who stood at the door of your heart waiting for you to knock and um, unlock the door and hoping to come and live inside. But, but then it was never that, well, okay, He's in me, I'm going to heaven, the rest of this is just up to me. 
Satan heard that? Maybe. And so he just keeps, he just keeps chipping shots at you just because he knows you're only going to take it in your own strength. You're, you're, you're never going to tap into the power of the one before whom he has to back up. So, so here's the place. Here's what the valley is supposed to do for us. Get us to the place where we don't have one grain of sand of self-confidence, what we're able to do without the Lord's help that we're honoring and operating in in our lives. We are able to say categorically, Lord, I can't do it. I can't obey you. I can't praise you from my heart. I can't forgive. I can't trust. I can't do any of it, Lord. So I'm asking you to send your spirit. If you then, being evil, Jesus said, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Spirit in power, give the Spirit in fullness to those who, present active tense, are asking Him? So here are my standards. Here are my standards. I've got my discipleship book filled out. I can take you through the, the eschatology. I can go through all the systematic theology. I got all of it. But, you know, I just, I, just, I just can't let go of this one thing that I just keeps sucking me down and pulling me away. I just can't do it. But I've got all the verses. No. Get the verses, but keep asking for the power. But, but if you think I'm, the Lord is expecting me to do this on my own, then, then we never ask. But if, if, we, if we are at that place of this is really true, it's really true that I can't do anything without your help. And that's not an insult to him. He delights in that because that's one he would say, I can bless that one. I can pour out my spirit into that one. The promise of the Father, the promise of the Father, the promise of the Father. What was the promise of the Father? It was that the spirit of the exalted Jesus Christ would be poured into the human bodies and souls of men and women who, apart from him, would still be running. And first century Christianity would have been all that the world would have ever seen, all that world history, human history would have ever known is one century, because it would have died out. But those who didn't have copies of the Scripture, they didn't have them. The Bible was still being written all the way through to the third century, even down to the 1500s. There were no printed copies of Scripture in the hands of believers. They didn't exist. Hand copied past one another. So how did they make it? Lord, will you help me to remember what I heard read in a, in a home group the other night? Will you, will you help? The Holy Spirit will cause you to remember the things that I've spoken to you. He'll bring to your remembrance the things that I've said. He'll disclose to you which is to those things which are to come. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. Somehow the early church, for those 1,500 years, learned how to tap into the voice of the Spirit to their hearts. And they withstood threats of all types against their families, their children, their businesses, all of those things. How did they stay strong? Because they memorized all the verses on deny yourself and, and, and live a life of abandonment? No. How'd they do it? It was by means of the power of the Spirit of the exalted Christ. 
who not only worked to bring salvation and forgiveness to their hearts, but was also working within them so that they would know His presence within them. It wasn't a theoretical thing, I believe Jesus is my Savior. Some way or another, by the operation of the Spirit at work in their hearts, they felt His presence. You say, well, Pastor, I don't know that I've ever had anything happen like that. Have you ever asked for it? Have you ever asked for the Lord, like a Luke eleven thirteen says, Lord, I want to know. If, it, if this is what this is all about, about me knowing your strength in my heart, then, Lord, I'm asking you for that. Whatever that looks like, whatever that is. I'm going to receive by faith. I'm asking you for, and I want to receive by faith your spirit filling me with power so that while I walk down through this valley, and the valley hadn't changed for David, the valley wouldn't change for Paul in a sense until he got to glory. He lived all the days of his life walking through a valley. But in the course of that, he would say right to us in Philippians, first part of chapter 4, don't be anxious about anything. He's in jail. He's in prison, maybe waiting a martyr's death. More than likely, he, he was let out once. He brought back again and was eventually put to death for the sake of Christ. But he says, don't be anxious for anything. In your valley, in your valley, don't spend your time being chewed up with anxiety. But let your requests, let your askings be known unto God. <laughs> he says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will move in and guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He's saying, you, you give them line item. You, you pour out your heart unto the Lord. You give him your anxiety, and he will swap your emotion for his emotion. Peace is an emotion. It's not a head game. You either know when you're, it's like being hot or cold. You're going to know if you're hot. You're going to know if you're cold. You're going to know if you've got peace, and you know if you don't. But I realize I'm getting out kind of on the edge of things. I realize that because no, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, because we get so hung up on how it would make sense to us that we miss the power. This doesn't have to make a lick of sense to us necessarily, unaided by, by the interpretation and instruction and teaching of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't have to make that much sense to us, but it is how God said it would work. Christ in you. Your hope. Is hope a mind word or is it a felt word? Christ in you. Your hope of glory. Now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.
written to folks walking through valleys created by the opposition that the Roman and the religious system had used against them to try to destroy their hope by by diminishing their prospects in the present life. But Paul says, now may the God of hope, God of hope, the, the, the God from which hope originates, that's one of his names, God of hope, God of hope, God of hope. What about in our valleys? He wants to make his presence known in our lives. Taste and see, David said. Right in the valley, right in the middle of things, you taste and see, God's good, God's good, God's good. He's loaded with hope. He's loaded with power, and He will deliver you from this valley in His timing and in His way. So, a valley. A valley shows you where your true strength is. A valley shows you what you need most. Let me show you one other psalm, another valley psalm, Psalm 27, Psalm 27. Now listen to David. You think about these people, well, how did they have that faith? They They didn't generate this on their own. This was the Spirit of the Lord giving them the ability to believe just like He wants to give to you and me. But somehow, if we think that the copy of the Scripture is a substitute for the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we're going to miss it big time. Because we can't live up to the new standards in the new covenant unless the Spirit empowers us, enables us to do it. Just because you may have known the Lord 40 years, doesn't mean that that old part of you and me that rebelled against him was selfish, was short-tempered, and all those other things that we used to be. Paul would say, in my flesh dwells no good thing. So, so in, if, if we're thinking that just by knowing enough something just to throw some Scripture at it is going to fix it wrong, then the Spirit would never have been to be, had needed to be poured out on the day of Pentecost. <laughs> But it was because Jesus said, after he taught for 40 days on the kingdom and how the kingdom of God was to work, he said, but there's one thing you still need that you don't have after all the information you got, and that's power. But you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit, his spirit, the exalted Christ, has been poured out upon you. And then you will be able to effectively be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria uttermost part of the earth. Listen, this is David, upon whom, and a different old covenant, new covenant, but, but when Samuel would and prayed for him, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon young David mightily, and he became a warrior. He grew into a warrior. He writes, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? In other words, he's got folks looking at him, and he knows they're trying to do him bodily harm. But but he, he answers, it's almost like he's talking to himself again. Who am I going to be afraid of here 
if the Lord is the defense of my life? Who am I going to dread if the Lord is the one I'm trusting? When we have lures came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. That's past tense. That's a story he could tell. That's a testimony he could give. But then this is the future. Verse 3, though a host encamp against me, that's a battle host, that's an army host. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. My heart, what's your heart? It's where you feel stuff. He doesn't say my mind will not fear because I'm coming up with all these verses about how to make sure that I don't, I'm not believing mine. He, he, said, he uses that word that is the, in the Hebrew is one of the most expressive demonstrations or words regarding the totality of the person at the core of it being the emotions of the person. My heart will not fear. In the valley, enemies all around. Though war arise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. There's another feeling word. And then he says, one thing I've asked from the Lord, that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. For in the day of trouble, He will conceal me in His tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me, he will lift me up on a rock, and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Well, the problem with that is the the enemy host is still camped around him. He's still having folks trying to kill him. He's drawn to seek the Lord, and he he expresses that greater in verse 8, when thou didst say, seek my face, my heart said to thee, your face, O Lord, I shall seek. You can't have a face without the person behind the face being in the room. So this is all about the presence of the Lord. The Lord saying to David, seek my presence. Seek my presence, to which his response was, your presence, O Lord, your presence, O Lord, is what I'll seek. In the place of his presence, David would understand the measure of authority that the Lord had given to him as his representative on the earth, as the one who would come to be the king over Israel and so forth. But commensurate with, folks, getting a sense of the presence of the Lord in you where you are in the middle of all that's going on is the sense that with His presence will come the sense that you are not an orphan, you are not alone, you're there by His design, and there's a measure of authority that He's given you to act and to be and to live in that setting. So David with that confidence working in his heart. Skip all the way over to verse 13. He says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. 
Wait for the Lord, he says to us. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. That's all about waiting for the Lord to do only what the Lord can do that you and I can't do. We're in the valley, we're walking it through, our eyes are on Jesus, and it's not your assignment or my assignment to fix everybody that's messed up, that's causing the problem. You wait for the Lord. And the Lord has a timing, the Lord has a method, the Lord has a way, and He will deliver you in the timing of his choice and his plan and his heart for you. Stop there and maybe come back to this again a little bit further because something else happens in the valley when the Lord by his Spirit is having the completed work of the valley. Praise, praise, praise begins to flow out of the valley. Some of the greatest songs in our hymnals are written from seasons of great sadness, great darkness in the lives of people. There's there's a song, there's a something, there's a word that the Lord in your valley is giving you that you know. You don't have to have anybody else validate it. You know it's true because God did it for you. Revelation 12, 11, and they overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they loved their lives. Not eat them unto death. You, you can't speak for everybody else. You can't speak for everybody else, but you can speak for you. In my valley, the Lord showed me this. He's proven it to me. It's borne witness to my heart that this is a truth from Him. And there's a measure of joyful authority and opportunity that you have to speak that out as He gives you opportunity. No valley too low. Now, we're going to come back and sing the song that we ended things with before the, the message. And it's the goodness of God. The goodness of God. It's about the goodness of God. Now, if you're planning on waiting until everything smooths out before you declare Him to be a good God, then you're going to just wait till heaven. But right now, in the middle of where we are, His power has protected you. His love has provided for you. His strength being imparted to you has given some of you the ability even to get up out of bed and physically put one foot in front of the other. His ability to make your financial means stretch far enough to be able to take care of you during this season so that you've had a bite of food and your babies have had a bite of food. That's the goodness of God. And he's showing you in that place, the, uh, Peter would say, it's the poor who are rich in faith. 
because the poor are learning how to trust him for everything. Listen, folks, with all kinds of money in the physical bank that, that don't have two red cents to run together in the spiritual bank of heaven because they've never had to believe for anything. And my brothers and my sisters, this is the only time. This is the only time out of all eternity that we will have the opportunity to believe him, to trust him, to say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I'm believing you because, see, when we get to heaven, faith becomes sight, and there are no more of these kinds of opportunities. This is it. Oh, I want our Alice Motor City family and our, our extended family, as we let this in, Lord, it's by your spirit, by your power to strengthen me, to encourage me. But Lord, I want to be marked as one who's believing you, who's praising you, who's thanking you, even before it gets fixed. So if you're here and want to join us in singing this song, as under the—it's a prayer song, it's, but it's a valley song. It's a valley. So we're singing it from the valley, not the mountain. I love you, Lord. Your goodness has never failed me. Hear those words again. I love you, Lord. Your mercy never fails. All my days I've been held in your hands. From the morning that I wake up until I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. Declare it, speak it, shout it, sing it. Let's stand together and sing this as we close. Amen and amen. Oh, God is so good and oh, how he loves you. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. And we want you to know that we are really praying for you. Our team of intercessors pray each week for every person that would hear these messages, that the Lord would move in just the way that he knows that you need this week in this moment. We would love to hear from you and get connected. If you need prayer or just want to reach out, you can email us directly at pastorwalker at alamocity.org. You can also join us on YouTube and Facebook and even Instagram. And we even have a group just for our online church family on Facebook, all of which is linked in the show notes to this episode below. We have so many who call Alamo City home who are all across the world, as so many of us find that our homes are not dictated by geography, but by heart. If it's on your heart to give to this ministry, you can find instructions in the show notes or just visit alamocity.org. Finally, if you're able, we would love to have you join us in person on a Sunday morning in San Antonio, Texas at Alamo City Church every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We're praying that this episode leaves you fiercely encouraged and lit up with the love of Jesus. Bless you. We'll talk to you next time.